Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of To The Point Podcast. Hope you guys are all doing well. Hope you guys had a great weekend and uh, a lot to discuss. Uh, the sports are coming to an end here, the regular season, uh, hockey, basketball, they all seem to be winding down. Uh, we got uh, a lot of uh, playoff matchups already decided in the NHL, which I'll touch on. Um, some teams still have to play a, a numerous amount of games. Vancouver and Calgary are going to prolong the season for the Canadian division at least uh, until next week. So the NHL have to figure out what they're going to do with their schedule. I, I think they'll, they'll start uh, the teams in uh, in the States before Canada. I mean, it only makes sense, but um, we'll see you talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins locking up uh, an East division crown for the first time since 2013, 2014. So a big year for them as they look to get some redemption and, and maybe take one last uh, push for the Stanley cup as uh, as their window starts to close as, as Crosby, Malkin and their superstars age. Um, let's talk about Rory McIlroy uh, winning at the Wells Fargo this weekend and um, getting a victory for the first time in 18 months and uh, getting a win just a few weeks before the PGA Championship uh, where he's going to be playing at a course that he's won at, won a major before. So looking good for him. And But a lot, like I said, a lot happening uh, in, in the world of sports. And uh, let's start talking about golf. And that's really what I watched yesterday. The NHL season for me is a grind. Right now I want to get to the playoffs, but I'm excited for the playoffs, but I'm also weary of it because it's the same teams playing each other. Like I've beaten this drum all year and I'm I'm sure some people are sick of it. I'm not excited for the Canadian division in the playoffs. Um, The way it looks right now, it's going to be Edmonton and Toronto in a possible second round. And that is a nightmare series for me to get, to get through that. You know, if, I, I will watch Carolina Tampa Bay on TV, which, you know, would shock some people, uh, you know, in this neck of the woods before watching Toronto Edmonton. I know people want Toronto. I don't want it at all. And because I like the playoffs because of the change of pace, the game, it's tougher. You need to battle in the corners. That series, it, like I'm going to call it the C cut series. Cause it'll just be skating and, and, you know, the crossovers and it's just, I don't have any, I don't have any interest in it. The game's supposed to be physical. These two teams bring nothing. Now I don't realize I was going to talk about golf, but my big thing here is it's tough to watch hockey right now because I'm just, it's, it's long in the tooth and it's only been 56. They did this for 82. My God. Like they, they gotta be, the NHL has to be praying that Canada figures their shit out and can get fans back in the seats and you can have travel and border and everything because this season you had to do it and that's fine. You got, you roll with the punches, but it's been a nightmare. Ratings are down. People are lethargic. They're sick of this model. They're sick of these teams playing each other. And I think people thought it was going to be such a great success. You get to see McDavid Matthews play all the time and all our ratings will kill. And you know, who doesn't, they haven't. And who said that from the beginning? But I don't like to take all the credit all the time. Just be right all the time. But I might have said that when I first started this podcast. That it really probably wouldn't be that successful. So anyway, um, this yesterday I said, you know, the hockey's pretty boring. I was flipping between that, the Celtics and, 
uh, heat game was good for a while. I kind of got out of hand. So then I really stuck on golf and it started the day. Keith Mitchell came into the, came in with a two stroke lead over Rory McIlroy and, you know, Mitchell starts off birdies one. So I'm like, okay, well, he's feeling it. Then he goes par par, but then he bogeys five and six. And that's when it gets interesting. Cause he was at 10 under, he gets to eight under and you got McElroy who, who had shot one under through the first five holes. It's third tie for the lead. And, you know, Mitchell stayed at around eight under the whole day. He got back to nine under once, made a, a putt on 11 to, to get to um, within a stroke, but he shot plus one for the day and, you know, ended up finishing tied for third, but tough day for him because he had, like it's a two stroke lead and he was playing well and he kind of threw it away. So he, he's in it for a while. Then you see Gary Woodland. He's right there with Rory McIlroy. Gary Woodland's obviously, he's won the U.S. Open. He's a good golfer. Uh, he's a major winner. And he's tied with McIlroy at nine under. From hole seven to hole 12, these guys are just uh, getting par pots, par pots, staying with each other tied at the top. But then it went south for Gary Woodland because on 12 and 13, he bogeys both holes and he never got back. He stayed at seven under the rest of the shoots, even par for the day. I'm sure it's a frustrating round for him because he had a very good chance of winning this tournament. And unfortunately he just threw it away on these two holes. So for a while, I'm like, well, the top leader, it's Rory's going to run away at this tournament. But we see two guys who teed off before they were, they came in obviously strokes behind in Victor Hovland, who shot four under for the day and Abraham answer who shot five under for the day. Abraham answer. He finished, um, finished his round when Rory was on the 13th hole, he shoots five under for the day, nine under for the tournament. So he goes into the clubhouse with nine under par and Victor Hovland goes into the clubhouse eight under par. So these two are both putting some pressure on McElroy and McElroy is at 11 under at this point. He's cruising. It looks like he's going to win the tournament easily. And we do see a bit of drama. If it was only a one stroke lead, this really would have been great theater. But on 18, McElroy's tee shot, he ham, hammers it uh, to, to the left. It's, it's in the rough. It's in the, you can't, it's in the uh, restricted zone. So he has to take a drop. So he drops the ball. He, has to, he loses a stroke. But on his third shot, which was technically his second, but he had to lose a stroke, he puts it on the green and he two putts. He bogeys the hole, but he finishes the tournament 10 under, beating answer by a stroke who was at nine under. So Matt, Rory McIlroy, like I said earlier, wins for the first time in 18 months. He had been he'd been struggling. Uh, missed the cut multiple times this year. Missed the cut of the last major uh, at, at the Masters. But, you know, when Rory McIlroy gets hot, he is tough to beat. And he's a confident guy when, when he's winning. He's playing well. And it had like been 18 months, and he'd been going through some changes. He had a kid. Um, but he, he's won this tournament three different times now. And in two weeks, two weeks Thursday, he'll be playing at the U, at the PGA Championship at uh, Kiwa Kiwa Island, where he's at, he's won the PGA Championship at that course. Uh, changes every year, but he's won at that course, so it's suiting up nice for him to go into this tournament confident, winning this weekend. I doubt he'll play at the Byron Nelson uh, this coming weekend. Maybe he will, but um, after winning, he'll probably want to ride that. Uh, winning streak into into the tournament into uh, the PGA so 
Um, I, I like his chances for sure. I mean, he's one at the course. He's, you know, one of the best golfers in the world. He's proven that, but again, the field will be loaded because we're going to see, you know, a guy like Victor Hovland who finished third at this tournament, he could, I think he's really close to winning a major. He's a really, really good player. Um, he's third in the FedEx cup rankings. Um, just behind Justin Thomas um, and DeChambeau. So it, he's, he's right there. I mean, you still got Bryson who, you know, he finishes, I, I believe he finished T seven in this tournament. So he's, he was up there. Um, he, he's obviously a threat. You still have Kepka. I mean, Justin Thomas can win any given weekend. He did not have a great tournament here, uh, finishing even par for the tournament. But there's still a lot of even Abraham answer. He plays well at majors. Again, he finishes second here. He's a consistently good golfer. Um, he always seems to be in the mix, but can never pull it out. So could he find his game? Can Xander Shoffley finally break through at a major? Um, we seem to be so close so many times, but he just seems to lack that killer instinct to get a win. But um, congrats to Rory McIlroy. You know, you get back on the winning uh, winning side of things here. He, uh, he had been struggling for a while, and he definitely won this tournament. He played well Saturday and Sunday to stay in it. Obviously, he, he uh, capitalized on Keith Mitchell not having his greatest day at the office. And, um, you know, obviously, Gary Woodland struggling down the stretch, too. But he had to figure out 18. He, you know, could have freaked out and – uh, tried for a shot that wasn't there, but he put it on the green. He two putted. He was confident in that. Knew he had a two-stroke lead. He could drop one and still win the tournament. So, congrats to Rory. He gets the win, and we'll see what he can do in a couple weeks. But um, definitely an interesting storyline heading in now that he's back in the winning circle. He's got some confidence, and we'll see what he can bring um, in, in a few weeks. NHL, like I said, it's it's been a grind for me. It's been a, it's been a bit of a grind. Um, I'm, I'm still watching games, of course, because that's what I do, but it, it's, I'm ready for the playoffs and I hope that the playoffs are going to bring some newfound excitement, some new energy, even with the same teams playing against each other in, in the first couple rounds. And I do have faith that some series will bring that. And I, I got a few series that, that we're going to see that I'm very excited about and I'll be watching very closely, but I got to give my congrats to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, they lock up first in East Division, first time since 2013-14. They obviously they won a couple cups in there. They still got Sidney Crosby, who's having a fantastic season. Um, Tristan Jari's really turned around in that after the first month and change looked like he might be run out of the league. He's found it. Uh, Chris Letang's had a bounce back season. Uh, they've gotten good production from Jeff Carter, who since being traded has got eight goals uh, in that in that time frame. He looks like a really good asset. Jared McCann's has stepped up his play. And they have a good little team there. Still got some superstars, but it looks like they're going to be playing the New York Islanders. The Islanders played their last game of the regular season tonight against the Bruins. The Bruins have two games remaining against uh, the Islanders and then the Capitals tomorrow. Capitals uh, will wrap up their regular season tomorrow against the Bruins. So, um, you know, the Islanders being a point back for the Bruins, they could still technically finish ahead, but um, I like the Bruins to get at least a point in the next two games. So I think they will finish ahead of the Islanders. And that would mean Pittsburgh versus the New York Islanders in the first round. And that, that is an interesting series. Uh, just two years ago, these two met and the New York Islanders swept the Pittsburgh Penguins. So I see this as a bit of a revenge series where Sidney Crosby 
yes, he's one of the best players in the world, but there's context. And I will give that context because other people just seem to forget because they can only talk about Canada. Sidney Crosby in that sweep had zero points. Me and you had more, had the same amount of points on our couch. And I'm sure that didn't sit well with him. Uh, well, well, getting swept in the first round, the Islanders were such a heavy underdog. They sweep them. And it was really a series that wasn't that close. The Islanders beat them physically, beat them uh, on the score sheet every night. And it was the Islanders coming out party where, you know, they've been to second round and, and the conference final the past two years. So they've used that as a springboard for success. And, you know, both teams are, are quite similar. I mentioned Jeff Carter's there. Obviously, Matt Murray is no longer in Pittsburgh, but you got Dumlin. You still have Chris Letang, uh, John Marino is there now, CC has stepped in, but the key ingredients to the Malcolm Crosby, uh, Gensel, Russ of the world, they're still there in the Islanders. You got Paul Mary, you have Zajac, but you still have your Jordan Everly and your Brock Nelsons and your Beauvillier. And you know, those, those guys that Beauvillier was actually a key in, in winning that series. He went up against Crosby a lot, pissed him off. Um, so I'll be interested to see what Pittsburgh does. Um, excuse me, to see what they can do to adjust and to figure out what they're going to do for, to win this series, because the Islanders are going to make it boring. They're going to muck it up. They're going to take away the middle of the ice. And what the Islanders really can't do is take penalties because Pittsburgh does have a good power play, but can Pittsburgh wear through that, that wall that the Islanders usually put up break through that boredom and make it a more free flowing game. Cause I think that would benefit Pittsburgh. Obviously you get Crosby on the half wall, you get him on the rush. Um, the team will, will soar. And also it's a series for the Pittsburgh where is this their last kick at the can? And I think it really could be. Um, they obviously they have Crosby. He's playing at a high level this year. I'm not saying he's done, but he's getting older. Malkin, has been injured for most of the year. His play has been on the decline. You know, just for the past couple of years, it's gotten worse year by year. And Chris Letang had a comeback year. I don't have any faith that he's going to be like that consistently. And again, he's not my favorite uh, defenseman. Players like Letang, Carlson, they they have their place. Um, they wouldn't be my first choice to be on a team that I was building, but nevertheless. Um, so, Malk and Latang both have a year left on their deal. You know, after next season, they're free agents. Does Brian Burke and Ron Hextall look to clean house, look to move them for uh, draft picks, which they do not have a lot of uh, for assets in the future. So, you know, you got the Islanders. That's a better matchup than playing Washington or Boston, just straight up. I would rather play the Islanders because I, I like my chances better uh, of beating the Islanders if I'm Pittsburgh. And if you're Pittsburgh, you play the Islanders and you hope Washington and, and Boston beat the hell out of each other. And you capitalize on that and you move on. It's a crazy year. Who knows? You know, who knows what can happen, but interesting series. And I mentioned Washington and Boston. That's a series that I hope goes seven games and I hope it's a war. Uh, I'm looking forward to this, this series. I, um, they've met in the past where Washington got the better of Boston but there's a number, number, number of storylines here. It's two teams have a long history of just being not liking each other. 
when they play, they get in scrums, they get in fights. Obviously, there's the Tom Wilson incident this year where he was suspended um, for the hit on Brandon Carlo, which I didn't agree with, but that's um, it's it was okay. It you know it, it's not anything crazy. So we'll see what happens there. But you got Chara uh, coming back uh, to Boston. Uh, obviously, he was traded. Uh, sorry, he was unsigned, and he had to move to Washington. He's coming back to Boston. How does he do there? Um, I think he want to beat his old team quite badly, uh, just to prove them, prove a point. Which I don't blame him. And you got Ovechkin. You know, Ovechkin's been hurt the past couple of weeks. Um, is this is his last year? He, he's a free agent. Obviously, we all expect for him to come back. Um, to come back and, and, and play next season. That's no guarantee. Uh, we know how much Alex loves Russia and loves and loves playing over there. Does he go back? I still think he has a he wants to chase Gretzky. He wants to get as many as many goals as he can, but it's no guarantee he comes back. I think this series will be a war. You got teams, you got these two teams who both like to play physical. They got defensemen that can um, take hits. And you got guys like Ovechkin who are going to make you pay every time you get the puck. As a defenseman, there's the Cliftons of the world and the Zaborals and uh, the younger defensemen on Boston. How do they handle that? They don't have playoff experience. Look at Washington. You have Brennan Dillon. He's gone. He's played a ton of playoff games. John Carlson's won a Stanley Cup. You got um, – they don't have Ryko Gudis anymore, but they have – a bunch of guys that have playoff. So they know Charles been to three Stanley cup finals. Um, he's done it all. So where does this go? You know, how does the big worry for me, if I'm Boston is your defense, it's young, it's inexperienced. And quite frankly, it's not that good. So where, where do you go from here? Um, but that, that's a storyline to watch. Um, just to see, just to see what happens and what um, what 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 this series can bring. Because I think it'll be one of the best series of the first round. Out west will be good too. Um, the West Division I think will be the best by by far. Uh, but nobody will watch that series because it'll be on too late. So if I had to tell you what series to watch, because uh, you know you want to get some sleep and obviously you got to go to work, Washington and Boston would be right there for me, um, for sure. Central Division, we got Carolina. They uh, lock up first place, um, and she's um, they're they're a good team. They're a really good team. They haven't had all year. All you know, Carolina's going to stumble, and Florida's going to stumble. They haven't, but I, I I give a ton of credit to Carolina, where I I think they have a really really good team. Do they have a bona fide superstar? No, because the term superstar is used way too frequently. Like just, just for instance, because I'll talk about this team, it's easy. Austin Matthews is a superstar, no doubt, 100%. One of the top three best players in the NHL right now. Was that at the beginning of the year when they did that list? He is now. Mitch Marner is not a superstar. Mitch Marner is a very good player, very good player, creative um, really effective with the puck, great player, you know, nothing wrong with that, but he's not a superstar. Now I look at Edmonton, McDavid clearly, but I also think Dreisaitl is 
Dreisaitl has won a hard trophy. He scored 50 goals, 100 points. He had more points than, than McDavid last year. He's second in NHL in points this year. That's a superstar to me. I just think is Carol, is Sebastian Ajo a superstar? To me, he's not. I think he's, a very, again, he's on that Marner where it's not a slight. It's just you're a very good player. I think Andre Feshnikov is right there too. He's a, I, I love Andre Feshnikov. I have so much time for him in the way he plays. Um, just the, the bite to his game. And we got knocked out by Ovechkin, which I think taught him a lesson. But he plays with the bite. He, he's got that edge to him. He's got a cocky bravado. And I, I like that about him. Again, they got my my guy, Jacob Slavin, who is one of, one of the best defensemen in the NHL. Whether he gets eight points or, uh, you know, 56, who gives a shit? The guy's effective as hell. And he, he's better... Th- defensively than any defenseman in the NHL defensively being sound he's better than anybody that includes Victor Hedman period um for Carolina the big decision will be who do they go with in net did they play their last game tonight against Nashville who they'll meet in the first round you know they got some options they got Peter Morazic they got Optimus Rhyme James Reimer and they, they got Alex Nadalkovich the kid if it's me I'm riding with Nadalkovich. I think he's their best option. I think he's their goalie of the future. And you give him the range. You give him that faith that he can do it. Um, we've seen Mrazek. We've seen Reimer in playoff series. And they've gotten far, but they haven't won. I think Nadalkovich is different because I think they view him as the number one of the future. Mrazek and Reimer have always been tandem goaltenders, and that's not going to change in the playoffs. And I hate going from one to the next game. You need to pick a guy and ride with him. I have more faith in Nadalkovich to do that consistently than I do Mrazek or Reimer. I, I hate the idea of saying, well, Mrazek was shit in game two. We're going to Reimer for game three. No. The Islanders did it for a while with Farlamov and Thomas Grice. It didn't work. It works in the regular season. Perfect. Playoffs, you need a guy. Your goalie needs to know he's playing and feel confident in it. Andre Vasilevsky was pretty damn confident he was playing last year. Again, Anton, Anton Udobin came into that series. I came into the playoffs as a backup goaltender. By the end of it, he knew he was the starting goaltender. Whether he played like shit the night, you know, game five, game six, he knows he's going. That, you need that as a team. I think one of the big reasons St. Louis struggled last year in the bubble was they had Bennington and Allen, and they kept flipping back and forth. Pick a fucking goaltender. And when you lose a game and you ch- switch the goalie, I think that's so idiotic. Like it, it's like when you lose, uh, you lose a game one in overtime, but yet you switch the fourth line right winger. Is that really what why you lost the game? The fourth line right winger who did not get a shift in overtime. You scratch him. Who, who turned out what what D turned the puck over in the middle of the ice? So he's playing. Uh, coaches. But, I mean, Carolina, consistently great team. They're going to play Nashville. David Poyle decided not to sell. He decided to, to buy in, and I give him a ton of credit for that. His team gets to the playoffs. Um, obviously, he's a, been around the game forever. He doesn't like to, to sell. He wants to make the playoffs, and he did. I don't give Nashville much of a chance against Carolina. They, if they're going to win, they have to rely on a couple things. UC Saros is going to have to be fantastic in that, which – 
I don't have great faith in. They're going to need their defense to not only play well defensively, but contribute offensively. You look at Roman Yossi, Ryan Ellis, even Matias Ekholm, uh, Dante Fabro. If he's healthy, you need to chip in. You need to score some goals. You need to be effective because their forwards leave something to be desired. And another thing for Nashville, Ely Tolvanen, their youngsters contribute. Rocco Grimaldi, score some goals because you're, that's the only way you're going to win. I think it's going to be that will be a low scoring series because I think both teams are pretty good defensively. So it, it'll kind of be a battle of uh, attrition to see who can, who can score a greasy goal here and there and make it uh, difficult on their opponent. But that, that's another first round matchup. We will also um, see Tampa Bay and Florida in, in the second round. Love it. Love it. Um, Tampa is the reigning Stanley Cup ch- champions, and I think they should be the favorite until they're beat. Do I think it's a cakewalk for them this series? Hell no. Hell no. I think this is – we saw the two teams play Saturday night. It got physical. There was three fines given out and a suspension. Pat Maroon was suspended. See Montour get fined. Uyghur got fined. It, it was a greasy game, and they meet tonight in their regular season finale. But for the first time ever that the two Florida teams are meeting in the playoffs, which I think is really interesting. Um, and both teams are big. Both teams are physical. And when they're on, both teams have great goaltenders. So we could see the, the battle of the two, you know, great Russian goaltenders. We got uh, Andre Vasilevsky, who may win the, the Vesna this year. He's won a Stanley Cup. He's one of the best. He's the best goalie in the world, if you ask me. Then you got... Andre uh, Sergey Bobrovsky, who doesn't have the playoff pedigree, but he's won two Vesna trophies. He's won a Calder. Uh, the guy is right up there at the top of the heap when it comes to being an elite goal, you know, an elite goalie. And Aaron Ekblad loss hurts, but you got Florida's been finding guys all year off the scrap heap to come in and play. Brandon Montour has made a difference in Florida. He's played well since arriving. And Sam Bennett has just completely found his game. He's contributed offensively. He looks like a different player. You go to Florida and you're a cast off. You walk in that locker room and you got that mentality of, you know, nobody believed in me. They gave up on me. And you, you buy into that and you say, you know what, this is for me. And I'm going to fuck it. You know, this is my career. I'm going to go in and do it. Carter Verhage. Hornquist was traded for Mike Madison. I bet he took that personally because Mike Madison is not the player of, of Patrick Hornquist's caliber. I'd be a little, I'd be sour about it. Um, even Trish, Chris Drieger, you know, finding his career, potentially landing, getting a good uh, deal this offseason as a free agent. He's played fantastic for them. So it, it's been a rehabilitation center with Joel Quenville's use it as an opportunity to get guys minutes and also for that, for guys to come in and earn new contracts. And we'll see, um, they play tonight, obviously, and we'll see who can, who, who can get um, the, uh, the last spot, um, the last spot in the, uh, in the playoffs. So that's another series. Go to bed, like go to bed early, get your uh, seven, six, seven hours. Um, Tampa Bay versus Florida. Tune in. It'll be fun. Uh, maybe that'll be an afternoon game too, which you get that in the weekends. Those are good. You know, you get a four o'clock start, Tampa, Florida. Lock it in. 
I'll be on my couch. Um, I'll get to out west in a minute because I, I think that's going to be great. Those series are going to be fantastic. I'll touch on um, Connor McDavid here for a minute. Um, 100 points, 53 games. Pretty incredible. On pace for 155, which, you know, for what it's worth, uh, you can't, you know, say Matthews is on pace for 66, but guess what? You're only playing 56. So I'm not, it's not, it's not a historical thing because guess what? They didn't do it. But kudos to both, both these guys. Um, and McDavid, you know, four points uh, Saturday night. Just the game looks too easy for him too often. And, you know, obviously he's playing against Vancouver, which doesn't hurt because they stink. Uh, but, you know, kudos to him. A hundred points. And just is – and it's not like he's getting a bunch of secondary assists. He'd lead the league in assists only by his primary. Taking away every other assist he's got, he'd lead the league in assists only with primary. So that tells you what the hell he's doing. And I want to talk about this. And I think it's fair and unfair at the same time, which is perfect. It's a double negative, which is another one of my favorite things in life because I refer to myself as a double negative a lot. Um, so there's this there's a debate that says, well, does this year have an asterisk on it for Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews? And I said, it's interesting. I'll read this article. And it talked about, well, them only playing against Canadian teams. And... Of course, that piqued my interest because who doesn't like to dunk on the Canadian division more than me? Um, and I have a couple of thoughts with this. First of all, McDavid getting 100 points, Matthews getting 40. If it was so easy, everyone would be doing it. You know, out west, Nathan McKinnon and Rantanen would have 100 points, and Rantanen, uh, McKinnon have 100 points, and Rantanen would have 40 goals. So, yeah. It's not like, you know, you look at the West Division, which I think at the top of the heap, it's so elite. You look at Colorado, Minnesota, uh, Vegas, even St. Louis, who've been playing well lately. Those four are really good teams. But then you look at, you know, Ducks and uh, LA Kings and San Jose, Arizona, it gets pretty thin. So you look at it that way. You got Toronto, obviously a, a great team. Edmonton, who's who's been better than I thought they would uh, this year, kudos to them. Winnipeg, who or when they want to play, are a really good team. And then you got Montreal, and you, after that, it gets it gets stale, like out west. But you cannot take away the great seasons that these guys have had. But I don't I don't buy into that narrative. However, I think I don't think taking anything away from them. You shouldn't take anything away from it because this is what they've done it. And other people haven't, like I just said. But it's an interesting conversation. Where does this series, where does this season rank, you know, all time? You know, you got McDavid, you know, in the annals of history in the modern era, this would be regarded as one of the best seasons ever for Matthews and McDavid. But can you put it with it with it with the other great seasons historically? when you only play against the same seven teams. To me, you can't. Because does Matthew score 40 goals in 49 games if he's playing against Boston and he's playing against Tampa and against Florida? Maybe. We don't know. 
We saw him last year. He almost scored 50 in 82. Context. Um, and he, I think he's a way better player uh, right now than he was even at the end of last year, including into the playoffs where I thought he was, he was okay. Um, but just think of it that way. You're not playing. You're not going on the Western road swing. You're not. Your travel schedule is relatively light. It's just a different season. That doesn't mean that this year was not fantastic for either. Because guess what it was. But historically, I think you have to play everybody. And I think it's a great season for both of them. Obviously, one of them is going to win the Hart Trophy, well deserved. But I, historically, I can't put it up there with the greatest. You know, with the with Matthews being. You know, one of one of the I've already seen he's one of the greatest goal scorers of all time. And I'm like, well, hold pump the brakes. Come on now. Um, but it's 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 a great season, but I don't think it's one of the greatest seasons. And it's they're both gonna be nominated for the heart, so people aren't gonna be taking anything away from them, but I do think you have to look at it and say, who did they play against a lot? And I, I think it's fair. I think it's fair um, in a sense, but don't, but don't down them and say, Oh, well, they, they wouldn't have got it. It would have got any points if they put it. Well, they would have got a few. They're two pretty damn good players. Um, but in Canada, it's still deciding that Calgary beat uh, Ottawa six, one last night. So they're still kicking around there. Um, obviously you got Edmonton and Winnipeg likely going to play. But there's still some stuff to be decided. Montreal can still catch Winnipeg. Uh, you got both. All these teams still have games this week. Uh, like Pittsburgh season's over. You know they're done. Arizona's done. So teams are finished. But they're just waiting for the schedule to fill out here. You know Pittsburgh's waiting. Is sitting there waiting for an opponent. Where I suspect that the NHL will start the playoffs Saturday. It's my guess. Um, maybe not. But I think Saturday would be the right day to do it. Pittsburgh, the Islanders are done today. So Pittsburgh and the Islanders could play Saturday. It's a ton of rest for both teams. You got Washington's done tomorrow. Boston's done tomorrow. So they could start that series on Saturday. Out West, I believe uh, Colorado plays their last game Thursday. Vegas plays their last game Thursday as well. So do they do something there? Can they, can those two teams meet? Uh, but with, with Canada, uh, Toronto plays Winnipeg Friday night. Uh, so, you know, that series, I don't think starts to at least Monday. So it, it's going to be tricky because of COVID and all the positive tests this year, you're going to have to maneuver your schedule and, and try to figure some stuff out because um, obviously you, you're, you want your playoffs to start. You only have so much time because as of right now, the Olympics is still a go and NBC is going to be broadcasting the Olympics from late July to mid August. So you're not, you're not putting playoffs in, in that time slot. Then you have out West and uh, I, I think it's going to be great. We know the matchups, but we almost know the match story. Vegas plays Colorado tonight. Vegas wins tonight. They will lock up first place. Whoever gets first place will play the St. Louis blues. And St. Louis has been on a bit of a tear lately. They've, you know, they did lose uh, twice over the weekend to Vegas, which could be a precursor to the first round, but they have been playing better as of late, seen better goaltending. 
they, they found their hot streak. Mike Hoffman started to come around since they signed him. He's found his game a bit. Obviously, Ryan O'Reilly has been a, a catalyst down the stretch just to get this team into the playoffs. So kudos to him. Um, they got to hope Colton Pareko can come back healthy. He's a huge part of their team. But you got Vegas and Colorado. Uh, Colorado can stay in the fight with a win tonight, but Vegas getting that top seed, obviously that's something that they want. Um, and then you got uh, Minnesota, who's still lurking, you know, still waiting in the weeds to see who they're going to play. And if I'm Vegas and Colorado, I want St. Louis. That's not an easy series. You have St. Louis, who won the Stanley Cup two years ago. Obviously, they were out in the first round last year. But they still have that nucleus of, of a playoff team. They still have Craig Brubin on the bench, who's going to come in confident. And I think Vegas, call, uh, Vegas, uh, St. Louis would be fine. That's going to be a physical affair. Uh, we know how St. Louis liked to play in, in the playoffs back then. I don't suspect it'll change. Vegas is certainly not afraid to get involved physically. They're, they're going to make it tough on you. They're going to get pucks to the front of the net, whack it just score ugly goals and hope for the best. And they've, they've got a great defense where uh, they can get a lot of goals from the back end. Petrangelo, you know, Alec Martinez is a, is a guy, he's a playoff performer uh, in LA. He was, uh, you know, in the, in the fourth hole uh, when it comes to defense, I think he's in the same role here, but he can be an effective player and contribute to a Stanley cup winning team. So he, he's an X factor for me. And if Colorado played Minnesota, I think it's a, interesting contrast of styles where Colorado is kind of run and gun. They, they can score at will. And Minnesota's changed their play. They do have a lot of skill. I mean, starting off with Kirill Kaprizov, um, who's just been a godsend to that franchise, but you know, they still got the old Erickson X. They still got those guys, Marcus Felino, one of my favorites who is not afraid to get involved physically, who will try to shut off the Colorado speed game, make it more, you know, less free flowing, more structure. Um, so that could be, I think Vegas, Minnesota would be better. I think that would be a war. And I think Minnesota wants Vegas. I think if they had their choice, if you had a gun to their head, they tell you, give us Vegas in the first round. And we're confident we can come out with the win. Um, but interesting to see who, who plays who. And I, I hope we see some, we see some good playoff hockey because regular season has been fine, but for the past month and change, it, it's been a bit of a drag. And, you know, I'm sure if you're a team, if your team's winning, it's been fantastic. I'm sure if you're a Toronto Maple Leaf fan, you're like, well, I hope the regular season never ends because yeah, it, I'll say this Toronto Maple Leafs will get to the conference final. And if they don't, The way, the way teams are playing, right? Winnipeg doesn't look like they know what the fucking hockey is. Montreal can't score a goal. Edmonton, again, I don't think they're even a threat to Toronto. I, I think that series will go five games max, and Toronto will send them out of their way. Um, if they don't make it, to, they should consider folding. Like, this is your best chance you're ever going to have. And Toronto fans in the past couple of years – if you're upset you lost, I can understand the Columbus loss, but losing to Boston, there's really no shame in that because Boston's a better team and they're they're just more mentally strong than Toronto could ever think of being. Um, this year, right now, the teams you got, if you lose, Leafs fans should generally, genuinely be upset. 
Because you should beat any of these three teams. And I think they will. If Winnipeg, if Winnipeg shows me something, they play Edmonton, then may, I will reevaluate, of course. But the way, Edmonton's, uh, way Winnipeg's played the past month has been nothing short of fucking awful. And they don't look confident. They don't even look like they like playing right now. So I can't have faith that Winnipeg will give Toronto a good run for their money. I don't. I don't have faith that Winnipeg can beat Edmonton in a series, which is sad because they should, because they're better. But Canadian division, I'm sure, will, will be the highlight for many people. To me, I look beyond the border, and I like to watch the best hockey. And I don't think we're going to see it in the Canadian division. Just one guy's opinion. Also over the weekend, obviously, we saw Columbus seasons coming to an end. When I uh, mentioned Phoenix, a uh, bunch of uh, Pittsburgh ended. But uh, yesterday came out two coaches are looking for new jobs. Um, John Tortorella's contract came to an end with the Columbus Blue Jackets. He, he and the team have mutually decided to part ways. And I honestly believe this one in a sense because Torts, I think, was leaving no matter what. He was there six years. The team's going to be going through a rebuild. Uh, they're a terrible season for the team. They had to trade Pierre-Luc Dubois. Patrick Laine was a mess. So they're they're in a state of transition for sure. He gets to move on. He's 63 years old. I don't think he wants to go through a long period of a rebuild. And I'm not sure if the Columbus Brass wanted him to be the head coach for a rebuilding team. Even though he did, you know, he deserves a ton of credit for the work he did in Columbus. You're know, bringing, beating Tampa Bay, beating Toronto, getting to the playoffs with a team that was so undermanned, underskilled, he deserves a ton of credit for that. And also in Arizona, Rick Tockett, his contract expired. He is no longer the head coach of the Arizona Coyotes. He's a free man. And I heard on headlines Saturday night, Elliot Friedman report that Rob Brendamore and the Carolina Hurricanes are working on an extension, which hopefully will get done because I think Rod wants to remain in Carolina. He's building such a good program there. He deserves a heavy upgrade on his pay and, you know, potentially they go on a deep run into the playoffs. Now Seattle is coming into the league and I think they want Brendan Moore as their head coach, but say Brendan Moore signs an extension today. Well, obviously he's off the board and they haven't hired one yet. So if they were going to hire Jared Gallant, I think they already would have, he's been free for over a year and he's coaching at the world championships, but I think they would have given him the job already. So I don't look at him as a candidate. The next best, next best option for me is Rick Tockett. Uh, maybe Travis Green, um, but maybe he stays. I'm interested to see what happens with him in Vancouver. But I think Rick Tockett, what he did in Arizona, they got into the playoffs a few times, but they stay competitive. And you look at, they don't do anything for him. They don't spend money. They try to lose players that play well. And he, he built a culture there. He's I think he was a great assistant coach in Pittsburgh for a long time, got the best out of Phil Kessel. And I look at Rick Tockett and say, you need to build a strong culture. He's the guy to do it. He did it in Arizona where ownership's terrible. The culture was negative forever. He brought it back together. And for Seattle to start off on the right foot, hiring Rick Tockett would make a whole lot of sense to me. I think Torts will get another job in the NHL. I think he's earned that. Yeah, he's a crusty guy. And, but you look what he did in Columbus. I mean, the proof's in the pudding. Those two those teams should never have beaten Tampa Bay. They shouldn't have beaten Toronto, but they did. And he gets, it, he gets players to buy into a system. You find success. Maybe the New York Rangers, 
I don't know if they're going to keep David Quinn or not. Um, Chris Drury had a good hand in hiring David Quinn. He was obviously a college coach, but you got James Dolan there who is a splashy guy. You know, he, he likes to hire um, guys with, with um, prestige and um, you know, some, how do I say this <laughs> with some highlights and with some big, you know, star potential on it. You know, he hired Larry Brown to a five-year $50 million deal for the, for the Knicks. That was terrible. Then he hired Isaiah Thomas and he's gone through these slew of coaches that have done nothing. He fi finally saw finding success. Now, could he hire Mark Messier? Yeah. I don't think that makes any sense because they have any, any coaching experience, but you know, James Dolan is not known for doing intelligent things. So could, could he uh, hire James Dolan? Sure. Um, but uh, so could he hire Mark Messier? Sure. But towards his, he's worked in New York before I keep my eyes and ears open for towards going back to the New York Rangers potentially if they do decide to move on from David Quinn. But we still got some games this week. Playoffs are on the horizon. Um, excited for that, for sure. I, the playoffs are always fun. Uh, when the game switches to, to a more physical brand of hockey, that's where I, get, I really start to get back to my roots of loving the sport. And the playoffs, the NHL playoffs are different than any other playoffs because they change more than any other sport. It gets more physical. It gets... You got to work your way. You got to battle. You got to get to the dirty areas, and it's just—it's a battle of wills. And the team who has a stronger will, nine times out of ten, uh, will win the series. Now the NBA is also on the home stretch. They—the play-in tournament, uh, which is new, uh, be, will begin a week from tomorrow, May 18th. And you know, it's been some complaints. Some people, of course, the people at the top are like, "Well, who gives a crap about the play-in tournament? We don't got to worry about it." We've heard some complaints. You know, the Dallas Mavericks star Luka Doncic has said it's so stupid. And then you had LeBron James last week said, you know, whoever came up with this playing tournament should be fired. Yeah, LeBron, I get it. I mean, you probably have that opinion because get this, the Los Angeles Lakers are the, currently the seventh seed in, in the West. They get a big win over Phoenix last night, but they lost to Portland Friday. LeBron has missed the last three games, the last four games for the team. And, you know, Anthony Davis finally gets 42 last night. looks like the old AD, but they need LeBron back, period. And it doesn't – they do have an easier schedule than Portland, so we'll see what Portland can do uh, down the stretch here. they got Utah for the end of the year. Um, the Lakers have a few games remaining on their schedule. Will LeBron return for the plus? I doubt it now. Um, but – if the season ended today, the Lakers would play the Golden State Warriors in the seventh versus eighth game. And that I'm sure the NBA is hoping that it stays like that because that's a ratings juggernaut. You got LeBron James and the Lakers defending, defending NBA champions, you know, on the brink of elimination playing against you know, the former dynasty in, in Golden State where you got Steph Curry, um, you know, no Clay Thompson, no Kevin Durant, but Draymond Green still kicking around, but Steph Curry having – one of the great months in the history of the NBA in April, averaging close to 40 points per game. And, you know, Golden State still sells and the Lakers obviously still sell. But, you know, that, that would be a great game for the NBA. And I think it would be great for sports. So you get a playing game you know, in the in the East. It, it, it will have some intrigue because it looks like the Boston Celtics are going to be in the play-in game with seven, being the seventh seed right now. They'll play the Charlotte Hornets. 
who you know don't have a whole lot of cachet to them. I mean, Michael Jordan owns the team. They do have LaMelo Ball, who is um, emerging as a star. And Gordon Hayward would be playing against his old team in the Celtics, who really gave him up for nothing. So that could be a fun storyline. But, you know, Lakers, Golden State out West, that's what what the NBA has to be hoping for. And But you look at it. Celtics were in the conference final last year in the East, losing to the Heat. The Lakers obviously won the NBA championship, so they were in the finals. Both these teams could be eliminated before the playoffs technically even start. Do I suspect that will happen? No. I think the Lakers will beat Golden State. I think the Celtics will beat the Hornets. But even so, you get the seventh seed. Uh, it, it would be likely Brooklyn versus um, versus the um, Celtics in the first round. I mean, that's a terrible matchup for the Celtics. Uh, Jason Tatum would have to play spectacular. I think they need a lot of help because they've had a disappointing season. But if, say, that they get the seventh seed and they lose to Brooklyn in five games, I, Brad Stevens has been the head coach in Boston for eight years. And do I think he's a good coach? Yes, I do. But I also think you gotta, you're got to you playing in Boston. You're coaching in Boston. You need to perform. You need to deliver. And he hasn't. They haven't been to an NBA Finals in his tenure. Jason Tatum continues to get better. But do they have enough around him? And what's Dan, Danny Ainge has been there a long time. I could see a, a cleaning house in Boston where they say, you know what, Brad Stevens, you've been here eight years. We love you. We know you're probably going to get hired the second we fire you. But – you can't get us over the hump. We need to find somebody who can. And maybe they look at Danny Ainge and say, you keep giving us the wrong pieces here. We can't get over the top against these other great teams. You can't pull off deals to help us get there. So we'll see. I mean, Danny Ainge, the great Garnett Pierce uh, trade, Ray Allen trade, that was a long time ago. And that was a great trade a long time ago, but even getting those picks and getting um, you know high picks in the draft, it has not led to them winning a title. So it, it clock's ticking in Boston because I, they're def, they don't accept losing and the Celtics not, you know, getting far, but not getting all the way there. It's got to be frustrating, but you look at the season, it, it's wide open. I mentioned this last week, but you know, the New York Knicks, they beat the Clippers yesterday. The New York Knicks are a damn good team. And, you know, Julius Randle's kind of their star, but they got, you know, castles like Reggie Bullock, R.J. Barrett, the Canadian, starting to find his game. Um, Nerlens Noel, who has bounced around, finally seems to have found a home in New York. Um, and they're just a good team to watch, and they're, and they're competitive, and they, they'll fight you to the death. Then, So could they do something in the playoffs? I could see them winning a round, and then, then they'll have to play, say, Philly in the second round, potentially. Uh, maybe they get Philly a run for their money. Uh, I, I think the Knicks are a team that is not going to give up. Tom Thibodeau is a guy who will will this team to fight every, you know, night in, night out. You also got a guy like Derek Rose off the bench who's just a winner. I think he brings a lot of positivity and, and he brings guys into the war, so to speak. Then you have the young Phoenix Suns who are currently second in the West behind Utah. Both those top two teams in the West are unproven. Uh, you know, Utah has been to a second round in the past three years, but they lose in the first round last year. Phoenix has not made the playoffs in 11 years. So, you know, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, the nucleus of their team has never played in a playoff game. Obviously they have Chris Paul, who's a legend and played in a ton of, has a ton of playoff experience, but how do these new guys adapt? And if, you know, if they're second in the play-in tournament, what if Phoenix has to play the Lakers 
in the first round. If LeBron's healthy and AD's healthy, they're an underdog as a two seed. As the home, as the having home court advantage, being the higher seed, they are the underdog because they're playing the defending NBA champions. So how do, how does the Jazz adjust to this? How do they play? Um, obviously, they got Donovan Mitchell. They got Rudy Gobert. I think they're a really good team, but again, no real playoff experience. Can they get past the likes of Denver and Portland? So you look at that, and then you, oh, East, yeah, Brooklyn's hurt. You know, James Harden's not playing. They get a big win against Denver Saturday night, but can two can they get all three of them back? Can two co-stars win a title? I have my doubts. Um, how did, they've only played ten games together. Can they mesh? Then you got the 76ers where they've been there, but they can't get over the hump. Can Embiid and Simmons do it this season? Can they get to an NBA Finals? Can can they you know can they push for something? Again, Milwaukee, they've lost the past couple of years as a number one seed. Can they get over the hump? Can when they are the hunter and not the hunted, can they find some success? Can Giannis break through the wall that teams have been building in front of them? So I think the NBA playoffs are going to have a ton of storylines because there's no quote unquote super team that is the heavy favorite headed going into the playoffs. It's fluid. It, and I think that makes for a more, much more interesting product. And we'll see what the two can bring. Um, what, what the, uh, what the playoffs uh, bring starting next Tuesday with the, uh, with the play-in tournament. And before we wrap up today's show, let's talk a little baseball and, one of the interesting stories for me was the start to the Los Angeles Dodgers season, obviously going 13 and four, but it's, it's gone south for them. And you know, a couple weeks later, they're now 18 and 17, only a game over 500. They've had some tough series against the Padres, against uh, the, the Giants. They, they lose, uh, they get swept by the Cubs. Then they lose two out of three this weekend to the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. You know, they're, uh, state rival and the bats are quiet obviously Cody Bellinger former MVP center fielder he's out but Mookie Betts has not had the great greatest start to the year Max Muncy's only batting 219 um, Justin Turner has been their most consistent hitter who they almost didn't bring back so thankfully they did um, but you look at Corey Seager look at some of these guys they need better from them they need Chris Taylor to be more consistent pitching's been fine I mean, yesterday Trevor Bauer goes six innings gives up two earned, but he, he gets the loss. And that's a frustrating loss for him. Clearly, they only get one run of production yesterday against the Angels, who have the worst pitching staff in Major League Baseball. Team ERA, last. Starters ERA, last. Home runs given up first in baseball. And we didn't see that this weekend. I mean, the bats just went quiet. And, you know, looking at the Angels, their opponent, I mean, they're still last in their division. This is just a broken record. Mike Trout leads the league in batting average and slugging. And he's just maybe the best baseball player of all time. He's only competed in three playoff games in his career. Got swept. And they're not going to make the playoffs this year again. And he signed up for another 12 seasons, 11 seasons after this one. Will he ever get to the playoffs? I mean, the Angels, they release Albert Pujols, but they just still have, they have no pitching on this roster. Their best pitcher is Shohei Otani, who is doing the Babe Ruth thing, where he's a hitter and a batter. And I saw he's a hitter and a pitcher, and it's crazy. You know, he, he's got a sub three ERA, which is fantastic. And he also is tied for the league league in home runs. 
He's got 10 home runs. Tied with Ronald Acuna Jr. The guy is incredible. I mean, it would be a great story if he could lead, uh, lead the league in home runs while pitching. And that's Babe Ruth. That's Babe Ruth on steroids because Babe Ruth, he never really did both at the same time um, consistently. Otani could pitch really well and then lead the league in home runs. Are you kidding me? And when you see him hit a home run, it just seems different than other guys. He smokes them. I mean, he's got a guy, Mike Trout, and his team who's not like he's not a power hitter. Otani is hitting more home runs than Trout. And being up there with Acuna Jr. with, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., I think will be in the mix for the home run title. I think it's, it's a fantastic story. And if Otani could do it, I mean, it would, it would be tough because obviously he's on a terrible team, but I like to watch Angels games because I like to watch him and you get to watch Trout at the same time. So he's a super compelling story in all sports. Um, and I also want to touch on the Atlanta Braves. You know, they, they've been struggling to start the year. You know, Freddie Freeman, the uh, MVP last year in the National League, terrible start to the season. Ozzy Albies wasn't swinging the bat well. Marcelo Zuna continues to struggle. Uh, Travis Darno was struggling, but they finally started to turn around. They've won five of the last six. I mentioned Acuna's tied for the league, league in home runs. He's just a hot batter right now. He batting lead off, getting, uh, getting guys on, driving and runs himself. Freeman had three ERBI game yesterday. And, you know, they won five of six. They take two of three against their rival, the Philadelphia Phillies, including a, a 6-1 win last night. And it's interesting because they head in, you know, to get some momentum and they head into a series this week with the Toronto Blue Jays. Blue Jays dropped two to three this weekend to the Houston Astros. And, but, you know, just a, last weekend, the Blue Jays swept the Atlanta Braves. Three games set, swept them, and it, two games really got out of hand. So I think the Braves view this as a good opportunity to get some uh, payback after you're being embarrassed. And obviously it's in the National League, so there'll be no designated hitter in that series. So one last bat for the Blue Jays. But you know, Atlanta, they should be a team that, that competes at the top. This division is still pretty uh, inconsistent. you got the Phillies who are inconsistent, the Nats who are struggling. The Mets have not had the greatest start to the season, so Atlanta can still find their game. But they should be, you know, in MLB power rankings, they should be in the top five of the league. They're that they're that good. They should be there with the Dodgers and the Padres and, you know, the San Francisco Giants who continue to surprise people with the way they're playing. Even the Boston Red Sox continue. They're 22 and 13. They're, they've been off to a great start, but they should be there. You know, Freddie Freeman, I think he'll find his game. They need a guy like Ian Anderson to pitch well. They need Charlie Morton to find his game. He's had a really struggle. He struggled in his first season in Atlanta after moving uh, from Tampa Bay. So interesting to see what happens this week in that series. And you look at the Jays. I mentioned they lost two or three to Houston. They're a game over 500, which isn't bad. But George Springer, you know, their big offseason addition, the highest paid player in the history of the franchise. It doesn't sound good. I, I The way it sounds, he's going to be out for at least for the rest of May. Because it started off as an oblique injury, then he injured his quad while recovering from the oblique injury. He's only played two and a half games as a Blue Jays, never played center field for the Blue Jays. And he seems to get injured every time he tries to push it. And they need to be really cautious now because you can't have him come back, play two games, and he misses another 30. That can't be the trend. He needs to come back healthy, get some reps, and then get him back in, into center field. Obviously, Randall Grichuk's been a fantastic story. Um, but you know his bat's going to go cold. Happens every year where 
for a month, he'll bat the Mendoza line. The next month, he'll hit eight home runs. But you need a consistent bat, and that's George Springer. Also, George Springer bats leadoff. You know, Marcus Simeon, he's done an admirable job, but he's not the best leadoff person for your team. He strikes out a lot. You need, you want your leadoff hitter to get on base, and that's not something that Simeon does rather effectively. Um, you also lose Alejandro Kirk, who is becoming their one of their most valuable catcher because he actually hit. You know, Danny Jansen starting to find it a bit, but the guy is just not a consistent hitter. And you got Reese McGuire behind him, who you know batted below 100 last year in his time with the Blue Jays. So. That tells you all you need to know about Reese McGuire and their confidence in him swinging the bat. But they got Merriweather's on the IL. They, they got Pearson back yesterday, but he only goes two and a third. He struggled, uh, struggled finding the strike zone, just walked a lot of batters. And the biggest thing for the Blue Jays is no starting pitching. They got Ryu. Obviously, he's their guy. Steven Matz has been pretty good so far this year. Uh, the last couple starts have been a struggle, but he seems to be a consistently decent starting pitcher Ross Stripling they got to hope he can stay healthy and find it but you need guys to give you more than three innings that's not a starting pitcher that's might as well be the uh, Tampa Bay Rays opener you need a guy to give you innings and right now their bullpen is going to be so taxed because you, know, you got Anthony Kay who has struggled all year at the major league level came out of the bullpen yesterday it looks like a mess and I don't know what they're going to I think they need to look to acquire something because you cannot have your bullpen going every day, pitching four to five innings every game because their, their arms can be dead by the end of the year. They had to put Dolise on the injured list uh, yesterday. So now he's gone. That's one last arm in your bullpen. I just, I just, I know I've seen this before where you're going to play 162. You need your arms to be fresh of that bullpen. If you're going to make the playoffs. And I worry that with all the strain they're putting on them early in the season, the bats are going to be quiet and they're going to be tired by the time they, they really need them. So Atlanta versus the Blue Jays, that starts tomorrow night, um, 820 uh, first pitch from Atlanta. So um, the Blue Jays will be wrapping up this month in Dunedin. And then June 1st, they will return back to Buffalo, their AAA uh, site, where they'll play the remainder of their season or until the Canadian government says it's free and clear for the, for the Jays to return to Toronto. But I don't suspect that to happen because even if they do get the okay, say by September, well, if you can have a full barn full of fans in Buffalo and it's empty in Toronto, you're going to want to make that gate revenue. So I don't suspect the Blue Jays will be back in Canada this year. But, you know, lots to watch, lots to talk about again, um, doing some NFL podcasts. We talk about divisions going to be under, under review with Craig tonight um, at seven 30. So be prepared for that. Um, and, talking playoffs and playoff previews right around the corner. So I hope you guys uh, can listen in and be ready for a lot of great content, hopefully coming out sooner rather than later. So for everybody listening, appreciate the support. As always, have a great Monday. We'll be talking lots this week. Uh, take care and we'll talk soon.